1: Let's talk about uh, housing uh, here in Vancouver, across the country as well. Uh, This afternoon, a new story came upon uh, my desk saying that uh, Stats Canada data uh, is showing that investors made up almost one-third of homeowners in some provinces in 2020. So this is new data that has come out from uh, Stats Canada. Now, the highest proportion in regards to investors uh, who own homes was in Nova Scotia of 31.5%, so just over 31%. Investors in B.C. came in at 23%, 20% uh, in Ontario. And what was interesting was that houses used as an investment, investment were mainly owned by individuals living in the same, province as the property. So I took that as local buyers. But it's quite interesting in regards to uh, the involvement of investors in home ownership across this country. I'm still going through the, the, the study, even as we speak, I was going through it during the uh, news break as well. In the city of Vancouver, uh, it said the number was actually even higher than that, 32.5%. Um, uh, in regards to condominium apartments used as an investment, so a third or so. So each area is going to be a little different, but nearly one out of four uh, properties uh, in British Columbia are, are, are owned by investors. And as I've said, it appears certainly uh, by the initial stories that have come out this afternoon that these are local investors. Joining me now to talk a little bit about um, this Stats Canada data is Michael Geller, Real Estate Consultant and President of the Geller Group. Good afternoon, Michael. Jazz, good afternoon. Uh, you know, we've had such a uh, high-profile, polarized conversation in and around housing, and always do, I guess, but certainly in the last five years or so. It's, it's, uh, it's been quite significant, even before the NDP government, under uh, Christy Clark's uh, leadership that we put in the overseas buyer's tax, all of those types of things. So we'll get to that. First of all, you're, just your thoughts on the numbers that, that you see. What, what does it tell you?
0: I'm surprised that the percentage of condominiums purchased by investors appears so low. <laughs> and, I, and I say that because it was generally thought within the development community that at least 40% of the condominiums that are being built around Metro Vancouver, primarily in those high-rises but mm-hmm. also in six-storey, are being purchased by investors. And the reason they're being purchased by investors is because the banks require the developers to pre-sell. In other words, before construction starts, they're required to sell at least 50% of the units in their development. And the marketing people will tell them it's much easier to sell a studio or a one-bedroom to an investor on a Saturday morning than to sell a three-bedroom apartment to someone moving out of a house. So these projects, up until recently, have generally been maximizing the number of studios and one-bedrooms so that... Investors would buy these units. Hmm.
1: And that's why the percentage is so high. Yeah. And, and as I've been going through it this afternoon, it looks like when you take the entire metro Vancouver area, it looks like the investment numbers go up to 42%, as you were saying. And when you look at the city of Vancouver specifically, it's 32%, and just under about 23, 24% for the entire province. So still significantly significant. So what do we need to do moving forward in regards to policy? Does this tell us anything in? regards to uh, what things do we need to change, what things do we need to look at? Um, because if, if, if the banks force upon uh, these companies to sell a certain amount f- pre-sale, it forces certain actions, processes and laws force developers to do certain things, go down a certain route. What needs to change in your mind?
0: Well, what we really need to do, and I'm not going to pretend that I expect this to happen, but when I first started in the development business, A developer would design a project, they would take it to the bank, the bank might ask CMHC what they thought of it, and then they would make a decision to finance the building before it was built. Then when it was built, the developer, as he nears completion or she nears completion, would then begin to sell the homes. And so you were basically selling a completed product to somebody. That all changed really in the 80s, when this whole notion of pre-selling became popular, because the banks were effectively becoming lazy, and rather than do uh, the underwriting and make a decision as to whether this is a viable project, they said, "Prove it to us," and uh, that has significantly added also to the cost. Because anybody who's been in the housing field lately who's looked at projects. They've probably gone to the sometimes magnificent presentation sales centers that have to be built, and all of that adds to the cost of housing as well. So I would like the bank to relax their requirement and do some proper underwriting, but I know that I'm being... That, that that's not likely going to happen.
1: What can the province or the city do at that level on the policy level? Is there anything we can change? It? Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, these investors have extra cash. They do, it does, they do facilitate these facilities, these homes being built, these condominiums to be built. But there's many who say, look, it does squeeze out first-time buyers, greater competition. What do we need to do to, 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 to allow that first-time home buyer to have a better chance to, to get in the market?
0: Well, one thing, is, and it is happening now, is that the municipalities are often saying, we want to see more two-bedroom and three-bedroom apartments in these developments. And uh, that begins to create a product that is appealing more to, to the, what we call end users. That's the real estate term for somebody that's actually going to live in the home. But the other point that I think I have to make is it's not necessarily such a terrible thing that we do have investors buying these homes because they become very much a part of the rental housing stock. Now, I admit that when somebody rents a condominium from an investor, they don't have the same security of tenure that they have when they move into a rental building. But there's a lot of people living listening to us right now. Who are living in a condominium that's owned by somebody, but they've been re- they've been renting it for five years or, or longer, and they're quite happy there. So we shouldn't ignore the fact that all of these investors, while they may be seen to be competing with uh, first-time buyers or second-time buyers, they are doing something positive, like you know creating rental stock. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, given the interest rate uh, increases. I think the appetite for a lot of investors right now is, is, is much less than it was uh, three years ago. So that's, so, to some degree, the market is already beginning to balance things out a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, the broader conversation, I mean, you go back to 2016, 2015, and moving forward, we've had a significant conversation about investors, particularly foreign investors. When you look at uh, to a certain degree, the the impact this has had on the Chinese community, who many would argue have been made a scapegoat for the rising prices in in homes here in the Lower Mainland. Now, that when you look at the numbers, the numbers that I've been reciting, they're predominantly local investors. There are fellow Canadians that are doing so. That, do you think that's? And, and I'm not sure how to phrase this question, but it does speak to the tremendous amount of racism, that that particular community has had to deal with in regards to foreigners are coming up here and buying everything. And when we, in reality, yes, we do have investors, and there's some positive to what they're doing, but this, these are our fellow Canadians and British Columbians that have been buying up these properties.
0: Yeah. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, it, it, there was a time, and I mean, and the, but we're talking about maybe 15 years ago when You know, people were coming from mainland China and buying homes here Mm -hmm. and uh, buying products. And and it was a reality in the marketplace. And it did happen. But over time, many of the people have moved into these homes or they've lived in them part time and and so forth. So to that extent, um, there has been a contribution. But the other side of the coin is I, I sit and listen to people or I. See comments on Twitter. And if you believe what people say on Twitter and in social media, you think that our housing market has been completely distorted because of money money launderers and Chinese people. And it's preposterous. It really is. And even when we see the statistics, people still refuse to believe it. The reality is, the problem we have, and I, you and I have talked about it quite a bit, Jazz, is. There's an imbalance between the supply and demand. I'm speaking to you from Tofino, where I'm attending a housing conference being organized by planners. And the last session I attended was how municipalities can speed up the approval process to help address housing affordability. The planners recognize that's the problem. It's a shame the broader audience doesn't always appreciate that.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and uh, you know the numbers that came out today, I, I just reaffirms uh, what I think people like you have said many times, and others have suspected as well that we have plenty of investors here here, here locally as well. Do you think beyond what the banks have been requiring from developers, there's ways to? Um, maybe, uh, not fair is the right word, but the pre-sale process itself, sometimes there are people who get a leg up by a day or two, maybe something 5% uh, cheaper compared to the general public. Is there ways to clean up the pre-sale process as well?
0: Well, what we are starting, I mean, first of all, there are changes that are being made. Uh, I mean, part of the the investors were buying, because for quite a while, a lot of people thought if you buy a pre-sale unit, and then you flip it before you have to close on it, in other words, you flip that, assign that interest, that's an easy way to make money. And for a while, it was an easy way to make money. Unfortunately, there, well, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, there's a lot of investors right now who bought units at a certain price, assuming interest rates were going to be 25 or 3%. Their units are going to be worth less when they're finished than what they paid for them, and the interest rates are going to be at least double or triple. And I say that because investors have to pay a higher interest rate than somebody who's buying their own home. So that is happening. But we're also seeing municipalities starting to encourage programs like locals-first programs, rent, a uh, very limited rent-to-own, uh, even workforce housing, in other words, housing for people, specifically living in a municipality. And so there, there are certain things happening as well, which I think is, is going to counterbalance the sort of uh, all the investors buying up the product. That's just not happening right now.
1: Michael, thanks for your time today.
0: Always a pleasure.